Welcome to Earthy, where eco-loving meets adventure living. Here you'll enjoy stories from people living lives based on what they love. If you're sick of depressing news, you're in the right place. Earthy is designed to inspire and teach you about sustainability, earth-friendly lifestyles, travel, and well-being. Your host is an adventure and lifestyle author, Shannon Annette. All right. Thank you for listening. I am ecstatic today because I have on the podcast, on the line, I have uh, Gustav Anderson, and he is a phenomenal blogger, traveler, world human being that I'm excited to get to know a little bit better with you here. Gustav, thank you for taking time out of your luxurious day in Palm Springs there to talk to us. Thanks a lot for that. Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, um, you know, you're kind of in my area where I used to live. Well, you're a few hours from it in Palm Springs, and you enjoyed a morning soak. What a great way to start your morning. Yeah, yesterday I uh, had a start of the morning in the hot tub with a cigar, mimosas, and uh, coffee, and then they came with eggs benedict to the pool. So that's a wonderful way to start the morning. Yeah, very good. Well, tell us a little bit about your background, where you're from, and you know, kind of what led up to this lifestyle you're currently living in. Okay, so I am a Swedish guy, uh, born and raised in the countryside of Sweden. Um, I spent my first 20 years there. Then I felt that I wanted to make my life a little bit more exciting and shake things up. So I went to the big city. I went to London, so a new country, a very different environment in a big city, and was a revolutionary experience for me to sort of expand my horizons with a brand new lifestyle. And I was spent 10 years in London. Mm-hmm. And after 10 years, I started to feel like things were becoming a bit predictable again. Um, the amount of new things I learned each year had diminished. The amount of new friends I made kind of diminished. I was kind of falling into a comfortable, enjoyable routine, mm-hmm. but a routine nonetheless. So, uh, in 2011, New Year's Day, I sat down and I had a big, long think about what I might want to do to shake things up. And I got this idea that maybe I should be geographically independent and start seeing if I could form a lifestyle that would not be tied to a particular place and where I could move from one country to another, spend a few months in each place and just... See yeah. what that lifestyle would be like. It's a, it's a very unique um, New Year's resolution. You know, some people just go on a diet for a month or so, and yet you, you decide to go location independent. Uh, bravo. <laughs> how did you decide where to go first and how you were going to finance the enti- this new life of yours? Okay, so um, we take the finances first, because that's, if there's one question that people ask me immediately when they hear about what I'm doing, it is uh, mm-hmm. how the hell do you finance it? Uh, Right. So I had worked um, quite a lot for five years in London. So my first year, mm-hmm. I just lived off savings, which meant that I, mm-hmm. I tightened every budget. I was living on not even a shoestring, half a shoestring. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just made sure that my savings were running out slowly. Mm-hmm. Second year, I started to work as a, a website designer, mm-hmm. taking on a few jobs here and there. And that went okay, but it wasn't like, I was just about able to make ends meet. And then now for a year, a little bit over a year, I've had a job as a software engineer, mm-hmm. uh, employed in Sweden, but I worked remotely. So I tried on the, the three different ways to, to finance your, 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 your travel. One is mm-hmm. the savings, which is obviously not sustainable. Then the sort of uh, 
other common route, which is where you work for yourself in some online venture, mm-hmm. and you find clients and so on. And then as a full-time employee for some company that is wise enough to accept remote workers. Right. Yeah, it's a smart move by their part, and of course, it makes sense for you. Do you have any trouble um, coordinating, like, um, you know, what time of the day you're supposed to be working? Is it independent of you know one time category? Can you work whenever you want? Um, they give me a you know they understand my situation. So when mm-hmm. on the opposite side of the world, they realize that it can be kind of rough on me to always be there during the office hours. The kind of job that I do is quite project-based, so I don't have to talk to people all the time. I don't have to be available all the time. But there are definitely times when there is an important meeting and it happens to be at 3 o'clock in the morning. Uh You just have to grin and bear and realize that this is one of the few and quite a small cost for being able to live in Attica. Yeah, of course. You alarm clock. (laughs) You said three alarm clocks. (laughs) Yes, yes. Uh, around the house. And then your other question was how I decide to go where I go. Mm-hmm. And um, it varies. It's usually quite a traumatic thing for me to, to stare at the globe uh-huh. and go, well, I can go anywhere. Yeah. Don't, don't quite know how to decide. And usually I try to see if some kind of input comes along, like some person invites me to visit them. Or there's some particular festival or some particular event mm-hmm. where someone suggests where well, I can just go, okay, I'll take that. So I don't have to evaluate every potential country. <laughs> Absolutely. That gets overwhelming. I understand. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's uh, an interesting predicament to be in. You know, people will say, oh, well, they're jealous, you know, because that's your predicament. But honestly, sometimes too many choices, it, it's really overwhelming. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I wrote, I wrote, um, I wrote a, an article about... Uh, the blank page paralysis. Where, <laughs> where you, you know, as, a, as an artist, well, I'm not an artist, but I have friends who are artistically inclined and they will tell me that there is nothing more intimidating than a blank canvas. Uh-huh. Because you have this, all this whole canvas full of possibilities and you have to decide on one thing to paint. And Absolutely. Kind of you're location independence. Yeah. You, go? you know, you, you, you usually start off with a list of five, six places where you always wanted to go to. Mm-hmm. What's those? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have to start coming up with these on a regular basis. Yeah, then what? Right. <laughs> it's more pressure. Yeah, well put. As far as your t- your tempo, how do you decide how long you're going to stay in each place? Is it different for from country to country, or do you have an intrinsic pace that feels good for you? I quite enjoy somewhere between... It usually lands around three months, and that's because Mm -hmm. quite a lot of countries will allow you to be there for three months, Mm -hmm. and then they start kicking you out. Right. But I will. My favorite time would be somewhere between three and five months. Mm -hmm. That gives enough time to build a little bit of routine, Mm -hmm. make friends, um, get to understand how that particular place works, so you can start enjoying it on a deeper level. Mm-hmm. It's not so long so that you feel like you're becoming bored. Right, right. Now, let's talk about the friend front for a bit. Um, it's it's challenging when you live, you know, sort of on the road or in various countries. You know, you're making friends from around the world. And 
yet you don't stick with any one group of friends. And then the friends at home, you know, have an adjustment to make. So tell me how that has impacted your life in the whole friendship category. Good. This is a very big topic. So I'm, I'm mostly going to just like skim on it here a bit. Uh, I've been writing a bit about it. So there mm-hmm. is two main things that will happen. One is what happens to the, your old geostatic friends that you quote-unquote leave behind. Uh-huh. And then there is what? How do you, you know? What kind of friends do you make on the road? So, starting with the ones that you know, you've been living in that place for maybe ten years. You made a social circle there, and then suddenly you pick up and leave. Mm-hmm. You will make all kinds of promises to each other that you're going to stay in touch, and you're going to call, and you're going to Skype, and that won't happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for for most people, it doesn't happen, and. Many of your listeners might have experienced this before, mm-hmm. but never quite realized it. If you ever had a friend who moved city, maybe for a job or a relationship or something like that, and they move and they go somewhere else, how many of those friends who have left are you actually staying with? Mm-hmm. For most people, they will say that you know it, it goes well for a month or two and then it dwindles away. Mm-hmm. That is really traumatic um, because you feel like you've been abandoned. Right. Quite. And it's nothing personal. Like, after a while, you, you, the way I come to terms with it is that it is not my fault. It is not their fault. It is just human nature that we are that good at keeping in touch with people digitally. Mm-hmm. We usually have friends that we see in person and it's all of those you know when, when this person is far away you, you stop sharing the little things in life so it's good to know about it and when it happens not let it freak you out right because when you come back you know I, my friends are in london and sweden primarily and when i come back it's like i never left that's great mm-hmm. It's almost like we pick up on this on the on the conversation we had when we left. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's instantaneous and it feels great. So it's not that you're losing your friends. It's more that I call it that they hibernate. <laughs> That's good. That's good. And what about the new friends? The second front. Yeah. So the new friends. Um, it very much depends on you as a person. I would urge people to, if they become nomadic, to make it a priority to make friends when they go somewhere. Mm-hmm. And to make it a goal, something that you set down that this week I am going to try to make uh, two new friends or acquaintances mm-hmm. or something like that. Mm-hmm. You start going out and you, you walk up to people and you introduce yourself and you say hi and you explain who you are and then you try to, you know, spend time with them. Mm-hmm. Um, letting it just happen naturally and evolve out is too slow. Mm-hmm. Leave those friends quickly. <laughs> right. Your visa will expire by then. <laughs> and they are so important to your enjoyment of the place. Mm-hmm. The nomadic lifestyle can be kind of lonely. Um, mm-hmm. And it can start gnawing away on your mind. And you start thinking like, oh, I don't like this place. Um, but what you might, it might actually be that what you don't like is that you feel disconnected. There's no better to get connected to a place than to make a few friends. That's great advice. It really is. Because a lot of people, they have had the same friends for a long time. They 
also in that routine that I mentioned in the beginning. I was in a kind of a routine in London. And you stop making new friends. And then suddenly when this new person pops out of nowhere mm-hmm. with an exciting story and seems very eager to be your friend, people respond to that very well, very excitedly. Sometimes, sometimes I feel, I mean, I'm not saying that this is because I am a particularly <laughs> shining and bright person, but just the fact that a new person enters their lives kind of brights, brightens it up. It shakes, it shakes up their life a little bit, and people want that. They might not know that they want mm-hmm. it, but they do. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I, I'm an extrovert, you know, at heart. And so when I meet new people, I can tell that I have a light that glows when I'm excited about new people, you know, and, and when I don't have that in my life, I don't have as much of a glow about it. I can definitely see the difference when I'm active with, with people than when I'm not, you know, and, and on the road, that amount of um, connection with people really varies, you know, directly on how hard I'm trying, you know, how bad the language barrier is for me. And, um, you know, my energy level. And it's interesting to, to constantly work on that aspect. Whereas, you know, where I'm from, it it wasn't a hard, it was part of my work. You know, I, I met people at work and, and, and interacted and, and, you know, it was a very organic thing. And now, you know, with a life on the road uh, as, as chosen, it just has to be, you know, something I work at as opposed to being something that just happens. Yeah, yeah you can't just sit down on Starbucks and expect people to just come over. You, right. That is what most people would like. Um, but you might actually have to be the person who gets up and just walk over and say, oh, is this Jeffrey? Right. As an example of this, um, so I think this, uh, I kind of like this story. When I, when I went to Vancouver, <clears throat> one that's, that's nice there, I went out to a bar. And I went up to people in descending order of attractiveness. And I said, <laughs> <laughs> I So I just went up to them and I said, hello, hi, my name is Gustav, Um, I'm new in town, I'm here for a few months, Uh, I am really into uh, the leather scene, BDSM and board games, Um, does any of that interest you? And uh, the first two kind of shook their head and didn't seem to show very much interest, Um, and that's fine, you just walk to the next person, and then the third person said that he uh, was into the letter scene, into the BDSM, and had a weekly board game night. Oh, score. So like, yeah. Ta-da, I have a new friend. And he became right. a really lovely friend that I had for the uh, three months that I was there. That's great. That's very bold. I love it. I love it. And you just have to yeah. be bold. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, you took the courage to, you know, leave a regular quote unquote life and and explore the world. So why not take it one step further, you know, and and have that courage in your personal, you know, relationships. That's great. I have that like this chronic fear of rejection. So this not natural to me at all. I have to Mm -hmm. make a decision to do it uh, because my natural tendency is to shrink away in a corner. Yeah, that's definitely hard to fight. I've you know, as an extrovert, I usually want to interact with people, but sometimes if I have an entire room of strangers, I want to flip and, and just watch as opposed to be the extrovert that I'm accustomed to being, you know, because there's no safety there. There's no like, oh, well, I have this person that when in doubt, if I'm uncomfortable, I can turn and talk to, you know, that's not there. And whenever you are faced to do something 
that you have some fear about, and it can be walking up to talk to strangers. It can be making a decision to change your life around. Um, it can be a lot of things. When you have a fear, the best thing to do to deal with that fear is to stare at it straight up and examine it and kind of pick it apart and go, what is the worst case scenario? But if I, if I do this thing I'm afraid of, what is the worst thing that can happen? And you paint up a, 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 a thing. And, and usually when you stare at it like that, it goes from being this amorphous fear hanging over you like a dark cloud, and you see the risks, and you go, that risk I can take. Like walking up and speaking to a stranger. The worst thing that can happen, that is reasonable to happen, is that they say that they're not interested and that they treat you coldly. Is that something, if that happens, could you deal with it? Yes. <laughs> you go, yeah, I could deal with that. You know, that isn't actually the end of my world. And, once, and so then you realize, that, I can't, you know what? I'm not risking anything, really. So why am I not doing it? Mm-hmm. And then get that extra push from your intellect to go and do the thing that your emotions are keeping you from doing. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's great advice. And the same thing, when I, did, when I did that exercise on making the decision to leave London, leave my job, uh, sell my flat, all of that stuff, uh, the worst case scenario was that I would find that I did not enjoy the nomadic lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So then I would have to come back. Uh, swallow a little bit of pride maybe, mm-hmm. uh, find a new job and a new place to live, all which was doable. Right. It was something I could do. But when I, when I hadn't thought about it and picked it apart, it just felt like an enormous risk. I didn't know what it was, but it felt so huge. And, and then you look at it and you go, actually, I can deal with the worst-case scenario. And if I can deal with the worst-case scenario, then... Yeah, absolutely. You know how you said some. You know you're not going to keep in touch with your old friends, but when you come home, everything picks up as if you, like you had never left. Basically, you pick up where you were. I have had that experience with my best of friends, and then I have had other experiences that you know really caught me off guard. Where I thought that the person was going to be you know able to understand my choice and lifestyle and you know support me because you know I thought that's the type of relationship we had you know based on love and and um, things like that. And, you know, I came back and they were more intimidated or maybe my my lifestyle was so drastically different from theirs that we had a hard time communicating, you know, like they wanted to know about my life and I would share, but not, you know, not try to say, well, I've done all these travels and, you know, and be obnoxious about it. But that was a big part of my life. And so I would try to balance those things. But, you know, but then they're going through, you know, potty training and and family life. And it was, you know, I lost friends over it. I did, you know, finding that common ground or, or way to interact and not be intimidating is challenging. Have you have you had that problem at all? Um, to varying degrees, yes. Um, there's been a few, but not many, but a few people who seem to have resented uh, the fact that I left. And it was more of a you abandoned us kind of reaction. You left us. Like, how, like, they felt that, how could you just walk out of all of our lives and decide that you would rather spend time away from us and then be here with us? I found that some people felt hurt by that, mm-hmm. which I can understand. 
Um, of course, it's not the reaction you want, and you kind of want them to understand that you want, you know, it's your life, and you felt that it was time to move on, and it wasn't, it wasn't that they weren't good enough friends to sort of keep you interested. It was, you know, there's more to life than that one friendship and, and life, you know, what makes your life big and exciting and wonderful and what you want might be different from that friendship. And it's that the friendship, there's something wrong with the friendship. It's just that we need many different things in life and some people need very different things from other people. So when I crave this a changing environment, when I crave the feeling that my life changes every few years so that I can stagnation at bay, that is understandable to me. But other people who don't have that um, mental framework, other people who very much cherish uh, dependability, who cherish predictability and things like that, they have a hard time understanding your choice. Explain it to them. Mm -hmm. um, but it might be something that's difficult for them to understand. Yeah, and then there's the, the people who just fade away. Um, and then there are people who react extremely well. So some people, I found that I'm better friends with them now than I was when I was in London. They, they really have found what I do really exciting, and they, and they don't feel threatened or jealous, but they're just happy and excited about it. Yeah, I have had that experience as well. You know, I, I, a coworker I used to drop off patients to her. She's an ER nurse, and and we used to you know talk a lot at work. And then I moved to Costa Rica, and then um, she's like, "What? You're there? I'm coming!" And you know, and now all of a sudden, you know, we're spending weekends or week long trips together. You know, and she wants to visit me wherever I move, and super good friend now. And and it's uh yeah, that's exciting to see people who have that adventure spirit in in common with you. Or you know, I've had others you know say you know I'm gonna do that. And they have a family, and, and so it takes them a little longer to get the foundation they need to launch, but they're doing it, and they're like, you know, you're inspiring me, and that's such a great thing to hear, you know, because you're just, you're just making choices for your own life, you know, and when that can impact other people, it feels very good. I actually have a much better connection with my mother now than I did when I was in London. Really? London, you know, I was in a safe place, and she didn't worry so much about me, but when I became a nomad, you know, this was bit of a strange scary thing for her mm -hmm. so she wanted to skype with me um like once a week so now we have a routine of skyping quite often and she knows how to open skype and she knows how to click the icon and all that stuff. <laughs> and so now we speak much more than we did when i was in london that's great and i also uh, while i was in london i didn't have the number of holiday days to spend very much time back in sweden I feel like it, there's nothing stopping me from spending three, four weeks with my family. Mm -hmm. um, so, and then also, I have found though that there's very few of my friends that, when I come back to London, very few people actually ask any questions about my travels. Really? Mm -hmm. It's not something that they're interested in. You know, we we don't talk about that. So, what do you usually talk about? Oh, we talk about what's going on in their lives and in London and, you know, shared, things that we have shared in the past, mm -hmm. things that we know about. They don't want to, very few of them want to know about the things that only I have experienced. And, and that's a little bit surprising. Like, you, you've been aware, you've seen and done amazing things and you're, you're kind of excited about it and then you get no interest. <laughs> yeah. 
and you, again that can feel a bit hurtful but it's just the nature and you you do best to not make a deal out of it and to realize that it's human psychology and all that and it's they're not trying to be mean or they're not like it's not it's not even that they don't care it's just that it's it's just what comes natural and go with the flow don't try to change them don't try to make them be someone they're not just you either accept your friends the way they are and how they act or you don't accept them at all right right so if you keep those friends just accept the way that they handle this strange situation that you put them in right you know go with the flow talk about a uh, the mantra to have in this type of lifestyle. You mentioned the, uh, very briefly the language barrier. That is a huge deal. Yes. Um, I did not appreciate how big of a deal the language barrier was before I became Catholic. Because we have experience of having been abroad, we've been to Italy or wherever for a weekend or a week, and we thought that you know the language barrier wasn't a big problem. It's not a big problem if you're just going to spend a week sightseeing somewhere Mm -hmm. and you're in holiday mode. When you are trying to establish a life and you're trying to make friends and feel like you're connected and and integrated into the society that you're visiting, the language barrier is a very real and very big problem. And if if you don't treat it as something that you need to manage, it might send you into a minor depression it might keep you from going outside feel safer to stay in your room uh, mm-hmm. integrating with Facebook and things that you can understand and uh, and it, it, it comes at you slowly you know you must know a bit of the language you make a circle of friends but they speak the language very quickly they have the kind of jokey way of talking among each other and you will not get those jokes you don't want to interrupt the flow of the conversation by always being the one who stops the conversation to sort of clarify something you didn't understand. So you feel about that. So you start just nodding as if you're understanding what people are saying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then you're kind of excluded from the conversation and then you feel like you're just this person who sits on the sideline and, and you start feeling very self-conscious about it. And because you're feeling self-conscious about it, you start excluding yourself from those situations to protect yourself from feeling like that. And before you know it, you're isolated. So that language barrier is something that you need to deal with. And as a new nomad, if you want some easy, good experiences from the start, when you to set the tone for the rest of your travels, pick some countries where you speak the language. Just to sort of, you're going to have enough to deal with in the beginning. You, you, you know, you, want, you don't want to deal with this as well. Right, baby steps. Mm-hmm. Were these like the hurdles that you went through and you've clearly learned life lessons, you've learned how to manage all of these different um, stressful situations. Is this what inspired you to write a blog or how did that come about? Uh, my decision to write a blog uh, sort of had a few different reasons to it. One was that I wanted to uh, have a way to let my friends and family know what I'm doing. So I thought that, oh, well, if I write a blog, um, then I don't have to send individual emails to people. That's the same thing over and over again and, and saying the same thing over and over again to 20, 30-odd people. I write it once. I write it very well. I include pictures and I express myself as, as clearly and perfectly as I can. And that way, 
when I do speak to my friends, we can talk more about what's going on in their lives because they don't really know about what's going on in mine. Mm-hmm. That did not work. Uh, people did not read the blog. <laughs> well, my friends are the last people who will read the blog. <laughs> uh-huh. It's incredibly hurtful, but that's, that's what happened. <laughs> right. Um, then the other, uh, second reason was I thought that the second reason was I want to help people because when I began preparing for my nomadic lifestyle, it was really useful for me to read the accounts of other nomads because that showed to me that it could be done. Uh, and having some success stories out there made me gave me the strength and the uh, to believe that I could do it. So that's the second reason mm-hmm. I want to pay back. And then the third reason was I figured that. I wasn't sure what I was going to do as a fine, uh, as a career. So I figured that whatever mm-hmm. career I was going to choose, having a large audience would probably help. So if I had a large audience who followed what I did, and um, if I decided to write a book, I had an audience who was already interested in it. If I decided to start uh, a career doing website designs, I had an audience of people who might be potential clients. You know, or whatever you... Whatever I was going to do, it could not. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't hurt to have a large audience. And how how did you find most of your audience? Did you just write what whatever your heart felt, and it happened organically, or did you share in certain like how did you build your blog the way you did? Um, well, you start off with your friends, you share with them, and then whenever you meet people, you give them the address, and you put it out on mm-hmm. Facebook and whatever, and then you try as much as possible to get attention from other blogs and mm-hmm. it's tiring work. Yeah. I've stopped, I've stopped trying to spread the blog now and now it's growing completely organically. People searching, finding it in whatever way they find it. Mm-hmm. I've stopped trying to become a big blogger. I'm just going to let it be what it is. And for listeners, we're talking about www.themodernnomad.com. How did you come up with that name, The Modern Nomad? Nomad, I thought, was a good word to describe what I was doing. Mm -hmm. People with no fixed home. Um, But nomads also kind of make their homes wherever they go. So they they take their home with... That was a good word. You know, I was playing around with some other words like vagabond. And they all sounded a little bit too unstructured for me. Mad is someone who picks up his home and carries his home with him. That, that was what I was intending to do. Uh, and I added the word modern because the word nomad conjures up images of Bedouins and deserts and sand and like simple kind of living and old-style living. That's not what I'm doing. So this is a modern incarnation of the old nomadic Right. Can you think of an experience, like a, a memorable travel experience? Maybe you've blogged about it, maybe you haven't yet, but that's just very memorable and something you, you like to think back on often that you'd like to share. Mm. Memorable experience, I would say, quite like this. Um, I was in New Zealand. Uh-huh. And I was going to spend Christmas in New Zealand. And I wasn't sure what to do. I hadn't really made a whole lot of friends, and I felt that this might become a rather lonely Christmas. So I started searching for, like, where could I go? 
and I stumbled across a gay eco-farm hippie community nudist farm. Oh, wow. That doesn't sound boring. <laughs> so, it's like the old 70s kind of hippie community, um, nudist, gay, and I went there and I spent Christmas and New Year's Eve butt naked uh, doing gardening um, <laughs> in this farm. Nothing excites me more than catching yourself in a situation that you had not been able to dream up on your own and you and you realize that oh i'm kind of drifting into unexpected fun weird things i love that sensation yeah have you ever um had like one of your trips where you had some things planned everything just did not turn out as it planned and in what ended up happening was much better than you could ha- could have planned have you ever had that experience mm, not really because i don't plan Okay, <laughs> yeah. Actually, only plan as far as having a place to stay and, and, the, and the way to get there. Well, let me, yeah, the way to get there is part of it. Like, let me give you an example. Um, you know, one of my little road trips in Costa Rica, I was taking this old, old Jeep, and I was driving up the mountains, into the, you know, trying to go to from point A to point B, but it was about a four-hour trip, and it's a bit much for my old, old Jeep, and it broke down, and it happened to break down in, like, the coolest, like, tiny town I would have never found, you know, and I made a re- made friendships with this mechanic that was, like, working out of his house. I just walked to his house with, like, the drive shaft in my hand and was like, uh, un problema, <laughs> you know, like, I am, I'm holding this thing in my hand. I think it goes on my car. And, you know, it couldn't, you know, the park couldn't come in that day, so we were forced to, you know, spend the weekend in this beautiful town we would have never found, and, you know, when you think things went wrong, really, they really went right you know and by the end of the weekend we had the jeep running and for very little money and we were on our way and it was just a great adventure oh that's that's you know those unexpected things i love them right the things that you plan when they happen it's nice but you expected it right so when the unexpected happens then you can get really surprised and and have that rush of adrenaline of like oh my god what's going on and like i feel a little bit out of my depth and so i guess one one thing that happened was i had made a friend at burning man in sydney no i was in in new zealand and i was going to go to sydney and i was looking for a place to live and i put out on facebook that i was going to go to sydney asking for advice on you know cool places to stay and so on and this uh, guy who i didn't really know at all contacted me and said oh well i live in sydney but I'm not there right now. I'm actually uh, away in the States for uh, a month and a half. So why don't you just come and stay in, in my empty house? Wow. Like, oh, wow. Well, I will gratefully accept this kind of offer. So he gave me mm-hmm. directions how to get there. So I step off the bus and I step right into paradise. There's this big cliff and overlooking this amazing beach. And I, I stare at it and I go, is this where I'm going to stay? <laughs> Amazing, and, and then I looked at the directions, and I went, oh, no, actually, this is not it. I'm supposed to go in that direction, away from that beach. Oh, it's close, you know? Yeah. So I the direction of where I'm going to go, and I turn a corner, and there is an even better beach. <laughs> amazing vista. Like, it just took my breath away, and I was, oh, my house is overlooking this thing. Wow. 
And um, that just, I, I was on cloud nine for the rest of that week. Oh, I bet. I bet. What a what an amazing step of generosity by his part, you know, and an amazing experience for you. And, and I would say trust and trust in the generos- generosity of strangers. For sure. mm-hmm. Like, there are so many times when complete strangers or, like, loose acquaintances have found out where I am and decided that, oh, well, what he's doing is something that we sort of think is exciting and respect and we like his choices and we want to help him. Mm-hmm. And so you get amazing invitations and people, some people really go out of their ways to make your stay amazing. And it can be a bit overwhelming sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, well, this person, he doesn't know me. Why is he treating me so nice? Right, right. Like, you, yeah, how do you pay them back, you know? And like I said before, it might be that their lives have been a little bit too repetitive for a f- couple of years too long. And you coming in and shaking it up a bit is every bit as valuable to them as the generosity that they're showing you. Now, I approach in my books uh, about when I teach people how to move to different countries. You know, I talk about the different cultures and whether or not the culture by a stereotype is gay friendly or not gay friendly. And, um, you know, I, I have my perspective, but I'm curious as you know, you're traveling the world, how, how has that, how has sexuality impacted your experiences or have they at all? Um, yes, uh, yes, it has. Um, so I'm gay as well. And there is something quite, I find it to be more of a positive thing than a negative. Because you have, um, if you belong to a minority of whatever kind it might be, um, minorities seem to stick together more and help them mm-hmm. more. So when you are part of a minority, then you can, you know, people will try to help you more because they, they, they connect with you. They, they, they see themselves in you more readily. And um, so I actually found that I... Belonging to the gay community has helped me a lot because the gay community seems to step up and help me a lot. And then there is also, and I can be being very honest here with you, um, as a gay man, uh, it is quite a lot easier to find um, sex. And, uh, you, know, you, you don't have to go through a, a long mm-hmm. <laughs> um, courting ritual. <laughs> so, uh, and one kind of crass, but an efficient way of making connections is to go to bed with someone that you and that that can very well be a way to make a new friend. You know, it might start off as something that is more basic, and then it can evolve into a friendship. So no one speaks about this because it's, you know, very few people talk so openly about their sexuality in such a you know, it almost sounds calculating and I, I, I have never and will never go to bed with someone that I don't want to sleep with in order to get a friend, you know. It can be a way to, to make connections. Do you ever choose a country that you're going to, like if they have, you know, laws still in the books about, you know, um, uh, you know being gay is illegal or, or, you know, prison time, those types of things that may or may not be enforced currently but are in the books, does that ever affect whether or not you choose to visit the country, or do you just ignore those types of laws? 
Um, no, that would definitely affect me. Um, because mm-hmm. you want to feel, again, uh, if you're going to stay somewhere for three, four months or so, you want to feel connected to the place. You want to feel like a part of it that you're connected to it. And if, if part of who you are is something that is generally disliked by the population that's there, mm-hmm. it's going to make it difficult for you to make connections. Uh, you can bury that part of yourself for three, four months, and you know, you can do it, but you might actually favor a country where you can be exactly who you are and be accepted for it. Yeah, yeah, that's certainly how I, that's certainly my policy as well. Like, I, I would much rather go to countries that invite me in as opposed to countries that want to make who I am wrong. And so. And that was very different from when I was living in London. I would have maybe, I was planning a week holiday somewhere. Then I would go to, you know, very unusual, different, and exciting countries, um, things that was very, very different from my life in London. But now that I'm staying several months in a place, I actually go more towards countries that I feel more comfortable in. So people think that I will seek out um, everyone thinks that just because you become a nomad, you have to start going to poor, poor countries and uh, under, yeah, underdeveloped countries uh, mm-hmm. or developing countries. Um, you don't have to do that. People will expect it of you. People will expect you to go to places they will go to when they go on holiday. You don't have to go anywhere that people are expecting you to go to. You can choose to go to safe, easy places that you enjoy, and you should not make any apologies for that. That's pretty much what I do most of the time. Now, all this time on the road, you know, that you spend, and you don't have a home base per se, because you're bouncing from place to place. Um, I know you've you've written an article recently about this, uh, about what to pack. You know, what do you bring with you? What's, what's your, you know, A-team ideal nomad kit, like, that you bring with you everywhere you go? So the, the stuff that I pack in my bag, I fall into two categories, uh, necess- necessities and luxuries. Mm-hmm. You know, necessities are the things that I kind of have to have. I have to have my computer. I have to have clothes. I have to have, you know, various things. You know, I always also include a camera in my necessities. You know, think, you know, these are non-negotiables. You, fill, you, you pack your bags with the with that, and then you say, how much space do I have left? Or rather, how much weight do you have left? Yeah. You, mm-hmm. You're restricted by the weight, not the size of your luggage. And then you say, well, if I have 10 kilos left over, so I have 10 kilos left, luxuries I can have. <laughs> um, so my luxuries would be um, my leather kit, because I enjoy going to leather bars and so on, Mm-hmm. Uh, and then my board games. Mm-hmm. My board games are definitely necessities. Uh, sorry, uh, luxuries. <laughs> and I, I take great care to sort of find and look for a good, fun games that pack down in very small and light uh, packages. And I get rid of all the sort of extraneous packaging, like the, the boxes and all that. And I just cram the, the game components into one big box that I have. 
Well, speaking about games, I just had um, a little game night with my, um, I'm, I'm in town visiting family, and they played this game that Ellen DeGeneres made it's called Heads Up. It's on your iPhone. I think, I'm not sure if they have an Android app, probably, but have you heard of this game? I have not, no. Okay, so it's a lot of fun, and um, I think it cost a dollar or two to download. I'm not sure it was not on my phone, but um, what happens is it combines, like, telestrations and Pictionary and all these different games into an app, and let's say you have two teams, like you're playing charades, and one person's up, and they're facing their own team, and they, they select a category, and the category might allow your team members to use words, or they might have to act it out. Like you can, you can choose that. And then let's say we say uh, it's like Pictionary, and they can't talk. Well, then they put the phone on their forehead so that only their group can see, and their group acts out whatever they are seeing is displayed on the screen. And then once you get it right, the person holding the phone just puts the phone, uh, or yeah, they uh, they kind of shake it down, which means they got it correct, so the, the app keeps score for you, and it brings up a new thing, you know, because it's timing you, so it brings up a new card for your team, or if, if the, the group decides they're never going to get this, you know, and they say pass, and the person holding the phone just moves it up, and that means, you know, like, pass, we're not getting that one right, next card, and um, it's a very... It's it's a very fun game, and of course the groups get very animated, and um, I, I I thoroughly enjoy myself, and that's compact, you know, be on your smartphone. So I just thought I'd give Ellen a little plug because kudos, awesome game. <laughs> oh, excellent, thanks for the tip. I mean, yeah, um, I'll, I'll I'll play you back with one of my favorite games, um, which is The Resistance. Okay. And it is a game where you need about eight people or so, and. You, some of the people around the table are hidden traitors, and then the other people are not traitors. And the traitors are trying to sabotage three out of five missions. And every time that they sabotage a mission, they give themselves away a little bit. But you have to start discussing around the table who is a traitor and who is not. So obviously everyone says that they are not a traitor. All right. Then uh, it, you start flinging accusations around the table, and it gets very animated. <laughs> it's done in a very, very small box. And it's uh, a really good game to travel with, because if you can get enough people to play it, it's easy to explain, it's easy to get it up and running. People take to it very readily, and it's a fun and um, party game. Yeah, it's great. You know, with the cultural barrier, having great games like that must be a great way to break that apart. Very few people are gamers. Very few people have actually tried to play fun games. They, they have memories of poor games when they were a kid. Mm-hmm. And so today, the games can be really exciting and, and engaging. And they're a great way to build that reputation among this new social group that you landed in. They're a interesting person that they want to invite around again. Also, when you start making friends in as a nomad, they can often be kind of disparate. So you might have a friend here and a friend over there and a friend over there and they don't know each other. Mm-hmm. And the best way to bring those people together so that you can hang out with all of them at the same time is to start a game night somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, find a restaurant or a bar with a quiet area and a, and, and a ready supply of alcohol. <laughs> yeah. um, uh-huh. and, and they will 
then you will feel like like the social circle around you is building and against a way to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, it breaks down all sorts of barriers, social, cultural, everything. That's it's a that's definitely a good tip. I, I, I feel like I should inter- integrate that into my life more regularly. You know, I had a great time playing the games we were playing last night. I'm like, why don't I do this more, you know? Okay. Yeah. Now, with your packing kit and everything that you're, you know, accustomed to bringing, certainly when you first started traveling, you probably packed more. At least that was the case for me. I'd pack more clothes than I needed and, and things like that. Like, how did you learn the exact amount of what you needed? Uh, yeah, like you said, um, you pack a bit too much in the beginning, and then you, every time you get back to one of your home bases, like I go back to Sweden once in a while, I can just leave some stuff with my parents. Time you, every time you pack that bag again, mm-hmm. you reevaluate each item you put in the bag and you say, oh, what if I don't put this in the bag? Mm-hmm. It's really liberating to live like this mm-hmm. um, where you are constrained and forced to not accumulate stuff. I never go shopping because <laughs> why would I? I can't, I can't bring it with me. Um, your life becomes very much less about possessions. It becomes more about connections, experiences, memories, things like that. Your possession dwindles away, and it's liberating. Yeah, I've had I have had the same experience. It feels amazing to have, you know, everything you own on your back, you know, or you know, carrying with you, and and uh, and know it's not that you know the stuff that you own is not that big a deal, and uh, you're not so worried about it because, you know, when that whole saying when you have a lot there's a lot to lose i guess or you know uh and when you don't have a lot that you don't worry about it at all you know and a few outfits i like and then when those wear out i'll replace them and um that kind of thing and i i really i really enjoyed that because in the, in the beginning I, I certainly packed more and like clothing wise i'm like you know i only wore those four shorts like the whole time or you know i didn't even touch these clothes you know why did i even bother <laughs> you know and that's that's certainly how i ended up yeah, we're doing down. You wear your clothes a lot. You wear out your clothes. I like, I, but I replace my jeans when there are holes appearing in the ass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I go, you know what? I probably need a new pair. <laughs> so, all the freaking time. So you wear out your clothes. Yeah. Which is, that is how we should wear our clothes. Right. <laughs> right. We should, we, should, we should use them until they, you know, are no longer useful, not just because we want yeah. Right. And, you know, uh, most people, they do have like five or six favorite outfits that they wear over and over again. And then, you know, a whole closet full of clothes. So it's, you know, once you realize that it's it's not as hard to let go and let other people, you know, wear those clothes that might be part of the clothes they actually wear, you know. Well, you know, it's been so much fun talking to you, Gustav. Um, you know, I love your journey and I love your blog, um, the themoderndomad.com. And is there any... Is there any advice that you would give to someone who wants to follow, you know, follow suit, wants a life similar to yours? What, what, what advice would you give to them? Um, I would say that you, you know, do the, do the worst case analysis because that will, that, was, that will clear up a lot of the fears around it. And it will show you, you know, what are the sacrifices, what are the, actually, like make a list of the things that you would have to do um, in order to to leave, and think about if you change your mind, how will you come back? Because this could have 
you know, this lifestyle is a very strange and different one. You won't know if it's for you or not until you give it a shot. So Absolutely. having a way to combat is a good, it's a good, it's a good thing to do because it will make you feel more secure while you're exploring it. And then uh, just realize that, you know, just because you become location independent doesn't mean you have to stay location independent. You can play with your life. You can choose how to live it and you can remake those choices whenever you want. So um, it might feel like it's a life and death decision that's going to change everything forever. It might be that. But if it turns out that you rather like to come back and live a more standard, normal life again, mm-hmm. you can. Mm-hmm. But you will come back with knowing that for sure. And you will come back with all of those experiences having done that. Mm-hmm. And like if you're curious about the lifestyle, it's probably a good idea to give it a shot. Just so that you know what it's like. Then you can make a decision if you want to continue it change it, adapt it, or abandon it. So if, as long as you're not, you know, as long as you're not doing something that you can never take back, um, that you feel like you can't lose it, then it's it just, just do it. You don't have to have planned out everything to the last detail. Because if you want, if you are going to not start traveling until you figure out everything that needs to be figured out, it, you will never leave. And this idea that you can, from the comfort of your home, anticipate all the things that this new lifestyle is going to be like, so you can plan for every eventuality, well, that's just plain wrong. You can't. The only way you can know what it's like is to be there. So, you know, all those plans you might feel that you need to do before you go, they're not particularly valuable as you start then. So why spend so much time detailing them? Yeah, um, a friend of mine, Corey Coates, I interviewed on the Becoming an Expat podcast, and he said one thing he did, he said, I just I just bought the ticket, and then I figured it out. <laughs> and that's very exciting. That's part of the exciting thing is to, to be back in a situation where you need to solve problems and figure things out and make decisions again. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, a large amount of personal growth, you know, from this type of lifestyle and travel in general, I, I think, you know, really can teach you a lot about life in yourself and yeah. and taking this type of travel, you know, where it's, it's your lifestyle, it takes that to a whole new level. Yeah, it's, it's an immense teaching experience for sure. Well, Gustav, thank you so much for joining us and for taking time out from your your Palm Springs day um, to share all the wisdom and insights you've learned through your life. And I really appreciate um, you sharing and being so honest with us. And uh, for all those listeners, please visit his blog, themodernnomad.com. And Gustav, do you have any other um, projects that you'd like to plug or is that the big one right now? That's the big one. All right. Well, thank you again. Thank you so much for having me on the show and uh, giving me a platform to talk about this. I'm excited about it and I want to help as many people as possible find their way out into the world. Okay, great. 
Thanks for hanging with us. I hope you had a blast. If you know someone who would make a great guest on Earthy or you'd like us to cover a specific topic, reach out at earthydecor.com.